it on this computer so that we can have it for posterity. This is a series of what we call nonprofit chat that happens on Tuesday night at 7 Eastern time. And we have people typically watching all over the world on Facebook. Originally, I started not recording it. I've had so many requests that I'm recording it, and it goes out on Facebook. And people like Russell and others put it on their feeds on LinkedIn uh, after I provide you the recording of tonight. And we typically have thousands of people in the following week review the video. And Steve, this is important enough. I'm going to put it on my podcast called The Nonprofit Exchange because this, this series that we're in is installing good leadership and business principles into charities, no matter if it's a synagogue, a church, or a local a community foundation education. Uh, leadership is what makes the difference. So tonight, it, we're dealing with extreme leadership. Before we, we go there, Steve, why are you qualified to talk about leadership? Give, give us a snapshot about Steve Farber. Well, I'm not. Not qualified. So thanks right, for having me. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Let me get out while the getting's good. Um, <clears throat> no, th- thanks for having me on, Hugh. It's a, and it's a pleasure to meet you as well, Russell. I uh, I've been in the field of leadership development for over two and a half decades. Uh, I came out of the business world once upon a time when I was a young and naive fella. I was in the financial services industry, which is a polite way of saying I was in the commodities business. Mm. If you have any interest in that at all, come talk to me and I'll talk you out of it. Uh, but I, uh, I learned a lot about business. I learned that I hated that business. But I learned a lot about what it takes to run a business as an entrepreneur. And I also just had this knack for, uh, for working with people. And I put my business experience together with uh, my love for people. And I started doing... Uh, you know, in the in the beginning, back in this is like 1988, 1989, I started doing training programs, and over the years, my career developed into focusing more and more on leadership. For the reason you just mentioned, uh, in every organization that I went into, it was pretty clear that the the quality of the leadership determined the quality of the organization, whether it was for profit or nonprofit. It always seemed to come down to that. So I ended up uh, ended up as the uh, vice president uh, of uh, Tom Peters' company, and you know some of your folks will know of Tom. Some of your folks won't. If they don't, they're probably it's probably because they're younger than say forty five years old. <laughs> they can go look up. up. They can look up Tom <laughs> Peters. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's well, Tom. Yeah, he's very significant. In Search of Excellence was a groundbreaking book, and mm-hmm. he wrote many others. But Tom is, uh, you know, he's the management guru's management guru. Um, I was vice president of his company for six and a half years, which is really where I focused a lot on leadership. And uh, I left there in, uh, in 2000. So I've been, I've been on my own doing my little, doing my little thing here for, uh, for quite some time now. And I'm passionate about the subject. Uh, I, you know, I speak, I write, I, uh, I, I run workshops and uh, I do whatever I can to develop people into, as you said so beautifully, extreme leadership. Uh, and I'd love to get into the distinction uh, as to what I mean by that as we go along. Why not now? That's got you, you piqued my interest. So give, always, give me a snapshot. Why not now is always an excellent question. Um, <clears throat> so. <clears throat> 
extreme leadership is really kind of a problematic phrase because it's redundant, or at least it should be. There should be no reason to modify the word leadership with the word extreme Mm -hmm. because leadership is, by its nature, an extreme act. And what I've seen, and I'm sure you guys have both seen this over and over again, is that we have collectively watered down the meaning of leadership Mm. over the years so that it is lost its essence and we use it loosely and we use it uh, as, as a label or a title that we slap on people because of the position of authority that they hold. And leadership has got nothing to do with your position. It's got nothing to do with your place on the org chart. It has everything to do with your ability to influence people to change things for the better. And that's, you know, if you, if you've got position and authority, you have, you have, theoretically power to tell people what to do, but leadership is about inspiring people to want to do great things. So extreme leadership is really just my way of saying real leadership. Real leadership is extreme. And let's not talk about it as a labor a label or a title or a labor or a tighter. <laughs> I mix my words up sometimes. Uh, <clears throat> let's, let's really, you know, examine what it takes for all of us, regardless of our position or title to really step up and change things for the better. We are so much on the same page. And um, I champion transformational leadership, which is about leading from influence and building a culture of high-performing leaders. And, you know, we're just so in sync here. It's just great. And I missed – we met last week at CEO Space in Orlando, and I missed your class, so I wanted to have you here so I could get my own private screening. Great. Well, thank you. I was – I was honored to do the opening keynote there, and uh, you know, I, I spend uh, I spend a good deal of my professional life doing that sort of thing. So, you know, I, I um, it's not an exaggeration to say, and maybe it just belies my age, but uh, over the years, I have worked with, spoken to, spent time with literally every kind of business and industry you can imagine. Uh, so sometimes it's, you know, by delivering a keynote and sometimes it's by working with them, uh, you know, on a cultural effort to, to, to change their, their environment into being more of an extreme leadership place to work. Uh, but uh, I, I love I love doing that thing. So, yes, I'm happy to uh, happy to give you a private session uh, where nobody else is listening except everybody. There were, yeah, except everybody. Um, and you may or may not know, I served the, the Presbyterian and Methodist churches for 40 years, went from 120 to 12,000 members. And that, my friend, is the most difficult. I also work in the arenas that you do. The church and local nonprofits are the most difficult places to install. Why do you say that? more difficult than for-profit? Absolutely, absolutely. So we're talking to a lot of leaders of charities because this is the nonprofit chat. However, i bet you're going to agree with this. Good leadership is good leadership. Yes. It doesn't matter what the context is. Uh, and in fact, not, not even just, you know, for-profit versus non-profit, but good leadership is good leadership in a community and a family and in a relationship and in, in, in politics, although I'd prefer not to go there. Uh, but it's, 
it's but it's true. It's true pretty much everywhere. But I asked I asked you a question. You heard it as a statement, Hugh. What, why do you think it's more difficult in in a nonprofit situation? I heard it as a statement. Right. Thank you. Um, we have the V word, and it's uh, I I write and teach to eliminate some words to let go of old paradigms, and we use the volunteer word, which is really stupid. Um, people don't volunteer. We give them a chance to step up as servant leaders, especially in a religious organization. We teach people, we preach that, that God calls us to Christian service, and then we tell them to volunteer, and we wonder why they don't volunteer. So part of it is we send mixed signals as leaders. We overfunction, and the reciprocity is underfunctioning, and we don't have a leverage of a paycheck, and we think we can't ask people to do things when in mm. fact people want to do things. So I think it, it, it's, it all comes from the lack of the ability of a leader to define the culture and give people an opportunity to step up their game. What do you think? Yeah. So there's some hesitancy in, in a volunteer organization to, to ask people directly to get things done because well, for a lot of reasons, but one of them is, you know, we're afraid we're going to scare them off. <laughs> If I ask too much, they're not going to not going to show up for the next meeting. Or if I raise my hand and say, hey, I have an idea. And before I know it, I'm actually doing the thing that I suggested. Um, I think I think that's very true. And, and I and I think you're right. If people people are stepping up to help, whether you call it a volunteer or not, they're stepping up to help because they believe in the mission. You could probably ask a lot more of them than you think than you think you can. But Absolutely. Absolutely. But isn't it also true? There's there's another side to this as well. In that in a in a for-profit situation. So let's say you know you work for me. I'm your so-called boss. Uh, I'm signed your paycheck and whatever. Um, then it's easy to to treat you as if you're not a volunteer. Whereas in fact you are still a volunteer, right? I mean, we're, we work, there are things that we do because we have to, and then there are things that we do, I'm talking about it as employees. Then there are things that we do because we want to. And I think really great leaders inspire that in us, is, is to go that extra effort, so even though I'm not you know, being paid for it, or it's not on my job description, but I, I wanna bring myself more fully into this place because I love it, because I believe in what we're trying to do, uh, and, and therefore, as a leader, I need to learn how to tap into that, that want to element. Bingo. Discretionary, uh, discretionary expenditure of energy, et cetera, that, uh, that, comes, that comes from way beyond just giving somebody a paycheck. I believe um, there's a lot of similarities here. People show up in a business for a paycheck. They perform at a higher level because they're personally fulfilled. Yes, and if you yeah, look at the right. Gallup, I mean, you look at the data, and it, and it, and it, that, that the people we ask more of in, in a charity do more, and so people who don't want to ask are not looking at the data. And if you look at the Gallup poll, for instance, which I'm sure you're familiar with, that seventy percent of the workforce is either disengaged or actively disengaged. Right, they equate to a, a five hundred billion dollar loss of profits. Sure. And so we're not connecting with people, and I believe uh, it's about this this extreme leadership that you, you you've been on this channel for a while. Of of uh, is extreme leadership uh, a passion for you, or is that a word you use just to grab people's attention? Um, I think the answer to that is yes. 
<laughs> so, so listen, um, extreme leadership sounds like a uh, attention grabbing, branding, marketing sort of a thing, and uh, and it is without a doubt. Um, but far more important than that, it's it is a passion for me. It's my life's work, as a matter of fact. Um, you know, I uh, a- as an entrepreneur, uh, and it's true for you know for a lot of us that fall into that category. Uh, the the line between uh, a work day, <laughs> there's no end. There's no end to the work day, and when you write books, as as we do, um, you know, it's uh, it's an all-consuming sort of a thing. So, you, I would argue that one would have to really be passionate about this in order to do the kind of work that we do. It's not to say that there aren't people that are in it just for the money. Uh, listen, I have, I have no I have no objection to money. Uh, I just don't think that money and passion are mutually exclusive ideas. I think the you know the ideal scenario is you know we're we're um, we're increasing our own prosperity as as individuals. We're increasing the joy in our lives, and we're having an impact on changing the world for the better all at the same time. This is this is is what I refer to as the radical edge. It's it's doing all of that. So, so I believe that uh, we should all be living our purpose. It doesn't, you don't have to be, you know, a, a leadership geek uh, to live your purpose. There's lots of ways to be passionate about the work that you do. And I think the more we can find how to bring our personal passion into our work every day, the more fulfilled we are, the more successful we are mon- monetarily, and the more, uh, the bigger the contribution we're making to the people that we work with and the people that we serve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're listening on Facebook, we have a hashtag nonprofit chat going on Twitter. And if you answer the question one, what is extreme leadership? Put in there, answer one nonprofit chat or put it in Facebook. We'd love to have a two-way conversation on this. Russell Dennis is, is one of the politest people I know. He's very capable and he's been sitting there listening with his, his attentive ears. Um, I got two questions for you, Russell. Um, isn't this remarkable that, that somebody I just met is on the same page as the philosophies that we, we support with Center Vision Leadership Foundation? That's my first pay question. And then part two is, do you want to weigh in on some of this extreme leadership? I do. Well, yeah, it's not really that surprising to me. I, I think uh, to, to sound kind of uh, spacey about it, we vibrate on the same frequency, which isn't which isn't really all that strange. And we've been uh, practicing and learning uh, uh, these truths about leadership through experience and, and, and working with other organizations and working in them. Uh, so that's, that's not strange. Uh, some of the things, you know, when you talk about passion, uh, yeah, passion is pretty important because there are a lot of people that are paid well who are miserable doing what they do, you know. Uh, I was an IRS agent in my last life. <laughs> like people, but it was soul-numbing work. Well, and, listen to that. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> I'm not as scary as, as some people thought I was. They thought I was pretty scary coming in the door. But I think really for what we do, the sweet spot is being able to, to make a difference in your community and make a, a good living while you're doing it. That's the sweet spot. Uh, uh, as far as, as uh, I had a, a very interesting uh, 
uh, consult with an old friend of mine who uh, runs a different type of business, but uh, there's some synergy there. I met him at a networking event and he declined to serve on the board uh, even though he really liked the project. And I asked him some questions and what I found out was that while he likes the organization, the uh, people running it, they had some difficulties. So they couldn't define what they wanted him to help them with. So it looked like an open-ended commitment. They weren't sure what they wanted. Mm. And so mm. the leader has to set the tone. Uh, we talk about culture. Uh, leaders set the culture, and it's, it's that culture that will propel an organization forward. When you can define for people what it is you want from them and what's in it for them, they're all in especially if they've got a piece of uh, putting it together, putting that vision together and, and, and working toward how you get there. So the best leaders, extreme leaders, they're the smart guys. They, they, they teach everybody around them. When you've got a high-functioning team after a while, you can kind of just sit back and watch, just watch it fly. You know, uh, Extreme leaders look good because they build good leaders underneath them. Well, and, and they work to get there, too. And there's, there's a whole book out, uh, The Tale of Leadership by John Hyder, mm-hmm. about when do you inter, interject yourself and, and under, observe what's going on. We're, um, we're talking to Steve Farber, an extreme leadership champion. And um, Steve, you and Russell and I do a lot of the same stuff. You think there's enough room for all of us to work out there? Yeah, you know, it, it, I, I, I certainly hope so. I think that, you know, the, the more the more the merrier. I mean, here, here's the thing also. I, I'd like to add one more thing to uh, your, your surprise about our being on the same page, having just met. Um, you know, I'm fond of saying I, I, didn't, I didn't make this stuff up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is, you know, this is based on just like just the conclusions that you've come to. It's the same thing. It's based on a lot of years with a lot of experience with a lot of different companies and a lot of different people, uh, both in the for-profit and nonprofit arena. I'm just articulating what I see. That's it. Uh, and, and we've all, you know, we've all been out there long enough to know that this, you know, this, this works, this is what works. This is what makes for great results. It's uh, it's that people oriented mission driven uh, desire to change things for the better, both internally and externally in an organization, uh, that's what does it. So I think people that do this kind of work and have been doing it long enough, we're all going to be pretty much on the same page. We just might have, you know, we might have different vocabulary words for it. You know, you, you're fond of using the phrase transformational leadership. I use the phrase extreme leadership. In the final analysis, it doesn't really matter what we call it, as long as we're all working towards the same effort, which is to make the, the human experience more fulfilling. Uh, at, at work and beyond, you know, this idea that somehow, you know, work needs to be a miserable place that we go so we can, you know, earn the right to live on, you know, evenings and weekends is, is a woefully short-sighted view of the human experience. It doesn't have to be that way. And, you know, in a nonprofit, in a nonprofit world, um, you know, people are still, people that work for the organization, they're still, you know, there's a lot of them are still coming there and getting a paycheck and being paid for the work they do. It's just that nonprofits tend to have the mission a little, or maybe even a lot more in focus in the forefront, at least, you know, ostensibly so, uh, because we're trying to, as a nonprofit, we're trying to get something done. We're trying to 
uh, to have an impact. And I think for-profit businesses have the same opportunities. Just for some, it's not quite as obvious. So we can help it be a little more obvious. Yeah, we're we're focused in nonprofits. We're not very gifted sometimes at articulating it when we could. Um, um, one of the questions that I put out there, and I may, is this a typo or not? Why is love important in business and leadership? Yeah, that is definitely not a typo. So here's <laughs> so here's <laughs> here's the thing. Um, if there's one thing that perhaps sets me at least a little bit apart from other people that do this kind of work, it's uh, it's it's love. Not not the experience of it, but the use of it as as uh, as uh, an overt objective of business, work, and organizational life. Love is. I'm going to use a double double negative here. Uh, love is not inappropriate in the context of business. Uh, love is at the very foundation of what great business is. And it's at the very foundation of, of, of leadership. And I can make the case for it very simply in, in 30 seconds. From a business perspective, you want your customers to love you. Because there's no strategic advantage in having them be, being satisfied. If they love us, we have a competitive advantage. Love our product, service, etc. So if that's true, then there's really the only way to create that kind of experience for customers in a meaningful and sustainable way over time is to create an environment that people love working in. That's the engagement stuff that you were talking about a few minutes ago, right? And the only way to create an environment that people love working in is I have to have it myself first. If I don't, if I don't love this place, how can I create that environment? And then how are my customers going to experience it? So, so to say that love has no place in, at work is, is really, it's, it's insanity. It's insanity. I mean, love is just damn good business if you, if you, if you need to strip it away. But, but to say, I mean, just think about this, guys. To say that as we, as we do, and we're very, you know, we're very uh, bold about this and, and forthright about this as human beings, we want to love our spouse and we want our spouse to love us. We want to love our kids. We want them to love us. We want to love our friends. We want them to love us. We want love in every aspect of our lives. And then, and then to say, but at work, it doesn't apply. <laughs> it makes, it makes no sense. It's, it's crazy. It's just something that we've, we've come to believe or condition ourselves to believe. So at the core of my work, uh, and if, if you're watching video of this, as opposed to the, listening to the podcast, you see in the background, you see that word leap and you see the word love on the poster behind me, uh, leap framework that I teach. It's, it's uh, radical leap. It stands for love, energy, audacity, and proof. Cultivate love, generate energy, inspire audacity, provide proof. This is, this is the extreme leaders framework. So love is really at the foundation of the whole thing. And, uh, and I'm, uh, you know, I'm a business guy, so I don't use that word lightly, but I think it's the right word. I think it describes the right experience, and I think it presents a huge opportunity for anybody that's, uh, that's willing to really, really live into that in the way they work every day. That's brilliant. That is... Well, thank you. Why, why, why do you sound so surprised? <laughs> it's, it's a reframing that um, I bet you a lot of people pass right over. Yes. And uh, it's stopping to smell the roses, basically. Mm-hmm. When I, I lived in Florida, I lived on the other coast from where I met you, and I used to go out in the Gulf and go scuba diving. And at the time, I owned a little camera store on the beach, and I sold uh, underwater cameras, Nikonis, made by Nikon. 
And so I would go down with my flash and my camera, and I could spend a whole tank just doing the fine things, the little critters, the feather dusters, the, cra- the shrimp, and those little beautiful things that you see around a reef. And other people are just swimming by trying to get the big fish, missing all those little subtle things. And I was thinking, you know, this is fun. <laughs> I, can, I can appreciate all these little things that are so important and play a, a role. And it, it's important to stop and enjoy life and experience this love because we impact people's lives. And leadership for me, and I guess for you, is not just the top person. We sometimes think that the leader is the boss, which, you know, spelled backwards is double S-O-B. But the leader is, is anybody who influences somebody, and that happens in the organization throughout. Yes. Absolutely. In fact, um, you know, I'll, uh, if, we, if we talk about this politely, uh, let me say it this way. I've, I've met plenty of people over the years in my work that have very impressive sounding titles. Mm-hmm sit prominently on their company's organizational chart, have sometimes billions of dollars in, in revenue that they're responsible for, and thousands or tens of thousands of people that report to them, yet still have, and this is the polite part, a bit of work to do. <laughs> as far as their as far as their leadership goes, right? But we, you know, we've all met people that are at the the opposite, you know, seemingly the opposite extreme that are they're on the front line. They're nobody's boss. They're doing the work, and they're great leaders. It's, it's not about your position or your title. But having said that, I think we could also agree that the higher up you go in an organization, even though leadership doesn't automatically come with the territory, the expectation of leadership does. Right? Say that again. That's an important line. Would you just restate that again? So even though leadership doesn't automatically come with a position of authority, the expectation of it does. So when, you, when you're in that position of authority, when you're the CEO or you're the, the boss or whatever it is, I look to you, if I work for you, I'm looking to you for leadership. And it's not going to just rain down on you from the sky. I mean, honestly, for some people, there, there is such a thing as a natural born leader that just get it. But for most of us, we have to work on it. So if you find yourself looking around going, Wait, what the hell happened here? Now, you know, now it says vice president on my business card. Now what do I do? Well, you, know, you, you have to do some things differently. You, you know, that's where the, the leadership comes into play. It's not just going to happen, but the expectation will. The minute you get, you get that title or that position, people are going to start looking to you for something more than what they've looked to you for. Four before I, I knew that that sentence wasn't going to come out right, but you you know you know what I'm trying to say. There's a new expectation there. Expectations, perceptions are so strong. So, so we all have to work on it. It's an ongoing thing for all of us, uh, my, myself included. I, I don't claim to have this all figured out. I don't claim to be the guy with all the answers, and I and I certainly. I certainly wouldn't even dream of claiming perfection in this, uh, but but that's for all of us. You know, we're all we're, we're all kind of uh, um, striving to be better human beings. We're striving to make a better, more significant difference on the world, and and therefore, you know, this and this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about about this work is 
And it has to do with our legacies. You know, what kind of a footprint do we want to leave behind? What kind of an impact do we want to have that lives on beyond ourselves? That little clicking you hear in the background is my colleague, Russell, who's capturing some sound bites. Um, oh, very... I, thought it was, I thought it was your thought process. <laughs> well, it is. Well, it does sound kind of like that if you're at a meal table with them at CEO space, you hear this clicking and it throws new people off. <laughs> So what's that? What's that typing noise? No, that's just Hugh's, that's Hugh's thoughts. That's the sound of Hugh's yes. thoughts. They're very, very loud. And, and when you're talking about the, uh, you said woo woo, but really, if you listen to Bob Proctor talk, he talks about the vibrations, and actually that goes back to Napoleon Hill and his work uh, mm -hmm. with Think and Grow Rich. So there, there are things that are going on that, it, it, Steve. I think a lot of it. Um, people introduce me as a leadership expert, and I correct them to say, no, I'm a serious student of leadership because yes. you, it's like finding the end of the internet. You just don't ever get there. You're always growing your skills. And you may or may not know, I got to work with some of the best conductors in the world in my career. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the better they were, the more they realized there were things they didn't know. And they were working for that little extra that was in the cracks, just trying to get that little extra that mm -hmm. nobody else was capable of doing, but they knew they could. And they really impacted everybody in the room by their presence. You, um, I see on your resume, you belong to the transformational leadership council. So yes. you, you're, you're talking a lot of what you're talking about is under the, the umbrella of what was defined by Burns and Bass in the eighties as mm -hmm. well, Bur great James Alexander Burns started with transforming leadership. He mm -hmm. was out to change the uh, political system, but it's, it's under this umbrella. It's a whole style of leadership, which as a conductor, it's it's the culture of high leadership and a model of a transformational leader is the conductor that transforms the culture because of their influence. Mm -hmm. People perceive a conductor as being a dictator. I got to tell you, you got a little white stick. You can't make a union musician do anything. <laughs> They'll play for two hours and leave. However, you can influence them to perform at a higher level. So as you're, what is it? Tell us a little bit about this council and why is it important enough to command your time? Sure. Um, first of all, uh, you, so you don't like being called an expert. Uh, I personally like it when people call me a leadership expert because it's not something I would ever call myself. So it's, it's nice to hear it from somebody else occasionally. You know, I can't, I can't claim it on my own. Um, and then the other point I wanted to make is I actually consider myself to be somewhat of an expert on, uh, on conducting in symphonies because I've been watching Mozart in the jungle. Uh, oh, yes. So that, that qualifies me, I think, as, as an expert. Um, all right. So as far as the transfer, sorry, I have to get in every, every if, if, I, if I have a smart answer, Mark, it's got to get out of my mouth or it's out of right. uh, <clears throat> Okay. So the Transformational Leadership Council that I belong to is actually uh, was started by Jack Canfield. Uh, and it's, uh, so it's a lot of people that do, um, you know, quote unquote transformational work, a lot of seminar leaders and authors and speakers. And I was invited to join a few years ago and, uh, and I, I just love, I love the community. So, you know, we get together a couple times a year, at various parts of the world. And, uh, I've, I've made some, some wonderful, uh, friends there. And it's really more of a chance for people that do this kind of work to get together and, just hang out and commiserate and listen to speakers and, hmm. and, uh, and, you know, just, uh, kind of feel like you're part of a community because, because, you know, one of the ironies of this work that's so 
socially driven is that it can feel isolating at times uh, because it, it tends to be kind of a solo, kind of a solo venture, you know, running around and speaking and doing workshops. So getting together with colleagues who have uh, a similar value set, I think is really, um, is, it, that's why I'm a part of it. I don't, I don't make it to every meeting, uh, but it just kind of fills up, fills up my bucket as it were. And, uh, you know, so there's some pretty cool people to hang out with there. Um, so, you know, I, I'm honored to be part of a community that, that uses the phrase transformational leader. Um, but I'll also say that, you know, similarly to what I said about extreme leadership, I don't think there really is any other kind of leadership. I mean, if, if leadership, if you're really leading and not posing as a leader, not calling yourself a leader, not just, you know, wearing, you know, dressing yourself up in the clothes of a leader, so to speak, if you're really leading, you're transforming something. You're, you're taking nothing and turning it into something. You're taking something good. You're turning it into something great. Uh, you're stretching and growing your skills and capabilities and doing that for the people around you. That's all extreme. That's all transformational. Uh, it, I think the, the bottom line is, you know, for, for no matter what we call it, the act of leadership is a significant thing that requires – uh, it requires a great personal stake. You know, we, we put ourselves at risk in order to accomplish great things. And, and it requires a great deal of heart and a great deal of love uh, to really make it work. And if we're not feeling those things, in addition to being a little bit scared while we're doing it, then we're not really leading. Then I don't believe we have a right to call ourselves a leader if, if we're not engaged in that sort of an activity. Otherwise, you know, we're managing a project or, you know, we're trying to get stuff done. There's nothing wrong with that. But if we're, if we're really going to call ourselves leaders, we need to be extreme. We need to be transformational. We need to be having an impact. We need to be engaging people on the level of the heart, not just the head, and, and pulling us all together to make the future markedly better than the present. Uh, you're very articulate, sir, and I'm not seeing you speak in public. Um, I would imagine that you're very engaging and your, your craft, your craft of speaking. Uh, you, um, as a conductor, I always watch people's vowels and their clear consonants, and you know, you're, you're very good at that. And you, you. Um, are a presenter, and leaders are always presenting. We are influencing people, no matter if it's one-to-one -one or not. And we're so blind to the fact that we are influencing people no matter. We think we're off duty and we're talking to somebody when really we're on duty whenever we're with people. That's right. Now, um, we're, our third question is live on Twitter now, and it's, um, I'm going to ask you two sides of this. What's the best leadership advice you ever got, and what's the worst leadership advice you ever got? Well, <clears throat> I don't know that I've ever gotten bad leadership advice. Uh, I've, I've seen lots of bad leadership, which mm -hmm. I take as advice. Mm -hmm. Do not do that. <laughs> You know, the people that, that, uh, that pretend, you know, that, that want to hear your opinion on something because they know they're supposed to hear your opinion on something, but, you know, that, but they're, they're going to they're gonna make you feel stupid for offering your opinion, and then they're going to do whatever the hell they want anyway. So I can, I can go on with lots and lots of examples of bad leadership uh, that I actually turned into good advice. Um, but the best advice that I've ever gotten comes from uh, my, one of my mentors, a guy named Terry Pierce who's the author of a terrific book called Leading Out Loud. And Terry is one of the, he's just one of the finest executive coaches on the planet. 
And we did, back when I worked for Tom Peters, we did a, um, uh, we'd started to develop a, a seminar based on Leading Out Loud, which was all about, and it's still, that, that seminar is still going. Blessing White, I think, teaches that seminar. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very, very powerful. And it's really about authentic leadership and authentic communication. And the premise being that when you're presenting as a leader, when you're asking people, whether you're presenting in a meeting or, or even if it's just one-on-one, and you're asking people to come with you to, to get something done, it has to be authentic. So it was really all about authenticity. And I was very much involved in the develop, the original development of that program and in the original delivery of that program. I, I actually facilitated that with Terry Pierce way back when I'm talking about like the, like the you know, mid nineties. And so I was giving a seminar one day to prospective clients. Mm-hmm. And I was giving a preview of leading out loud, which was all about authenticity. And after my presentation, one of the, uh, one of the people uh, who was, uh, was in the audience, prospective client, came up to me and he said, thank you for inviting me, Steve. That was really, uh, it was really, it was really interesting. I had a great time. He said, uh, but I have some feedback for you. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, well, you know, uh, thank you very much. Uh, what, what, what would it be? And he said, I don't think you modeled what you were teaching. That's pretty tough feedback when what you're teaching is authenticity. <laughs> Gee, you hit you me know? between the eyes. So I said, really? Um, can you be more specific? Can you tell me, can you tell me what, you, what you mean? And, and he said, well, you know, I just thought you were really kind of slick. You know, it's, you know you're, all your words were perfect and your slides were all perfect. And, oh, and, and it was, he said, but, you know, I really enjoyed it. It was, you know, uh, thanks, for, thanks for having me. Uh, you're welcome. So I was, I really had a hard time processing that. So uh, that night I called Terry, who wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't there at the preview at the, the little you know, seminar. And I, I told him what happened. And he said, he said, okay, well, he said, here's, here's what you need to remember, Steve. He said, first of all, or Farber, as most of my friends call me. He said, first of all, um, understand that you're not going to connect with everybody all the time. You're just not. I mean, there's going to be some people that you don't connect with. And I thought, oh, well, that's nice. Yeah, that, that's, that, that was good feedback because, you know, I could process that and it made me feel good. <laughs> and then he said, however, assume he was right and go from there. Ooh. And that was the most significant piece of coaching, advice, whatever you want to call it, not only about presenting but about leadership that I've ever gotten because we can always be more of ourselves. I think there's always a, there's, there's a veneer that you know, I, I find it from myself, you know, when I've, I'm doing a keynote that I've done, you know, a million times and I catch myself, you know, getting a little distant and I notice that words are coming out of my mouth, but I'm not really there. I'm not really present. Uh, so it's always, it's, I'm constantly ever, I mean, Honestly, I'm not exaggerating. Ever since that moment, which was like 1995, 1996, that ever since that one little piece of advice, uh, I have I have completely changed um, my the the criterion that I have for myself as to how I'm showing up. And when I get feedback from somebody, no matter what it is. 
um, even if I disagree with it, I assume that they're right and go from there. And they may not be right, but at least I can explore it. If I assume they're wrong, if I dismiss it, I, 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 never, I just never have the opportunity for growth. So why not? So whenever you get feedback, even if it's something you disagree with on the surface or you get defensive about, just for a moment, assume they're right and see where that takes you. And more often than not, it, it leads us to a better place, a higher place, a more, a more effective place than if we would have dismissed that feedback out of hand. I know a lot of leaders that block any feedback because of their, their lack of self-esteem or their fragile ego. And we got to let go of that because we, even if it, we don't think it's right, there's still something we can learn. That is brilliant advice. I'm really, that's, it's really profound. Mm. Um, And you've, you've held on to that and it's probably helped you have a constant upgrade in your ability, your whole time. And I mean, and seriously, no exaggeration, constant, Constant. It's one of those things that it just became, it, w- it was the, a combination of, of what he said, how he said it, the context in which I heard it, where I was at the time, but all that just kind of, you know, came together that it became part of my, kind of part of my ongoing programming. Uh, listen, that doesn't make it easy. When, when I get feedback that's, that's, that's difficult, it's no less difficult, but it makes it, it makes it more um, more productive and, and ultimately more positive because it always provides a learning opportunity. Well, it's good to be um, taken off the high horse for sometimes. I, it's it's a hard fall if you're too high, but staying humble is just the really to me the root of of self improvement. Um, now, what do you how do you respond when people talk about others and say he's just a born leader? I'd say that's true. Well, let me put it this way. I've never yet met a leader that's not born. So that does, that does seem to be, <laughs> it does seem to be a prerequisite. <clears throat> um, so listen, I think there is such a thing as a born leader. Um, I think there are, there are people that are more naturally inclined to leadership, just like there are people that are more naturally inclined to anything to math, to science, to music, to athletics. I mean, sometimes people are just, they're just born with what it takes. Uh, you know, we've, we've all seen child prodigies that blow our mind. They can play the violin when they're five years old or whatever. Uh, I think the same is true for leadership. But the, the beautiful thing about this is that doesn't mean that for the rest of us, there is no hope. And, and I, think, I think what happens, you know, as part of that discussion is there's this assumption that, you're, that you either have it or you don't. You're either born with it or you're screwed. And, and that's just, it's just not the case. Um, I don't believe that everybody has it in them to be the great historic world leaders, you know, that, that find their place in the annals of, of, of you know, of time. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm that person, uh, but, but that's, that's an awfully high mark to say either it's going to be that or nothing, that's, that's just silly. I mean, I can be an incredibly uh, impactful leader just in my family. You know, over the years, every so often a survey comes out where people are asked who their most influential leaders are in their life. And, you know, mom and dad always come out at the top of that list, mom and or dad. 
so we can be incredible leaders in, in, a, in what is, you know, what appears to be a smaller context. And it's not necessarily a smaller context. It just appears to be that way. So we can all get better. We can all get better. We can all improve. It takes, I mean, like anything else, it takes study. It takes coaching. It takes practice. It takes failing and learning from our mistakes and trying again. It takes feedback. And it takes, you know, and, and of course, at the, at the core of all that, it takes a burning desire to excel. I mean, if, if we don't really want to do this stuff, then we shouldn't do it. And, and I, think, I, think it's a, I think it's a perfectly valid conclusion to come to. Do I really want to do this? Do I want to be a transformational leader, an extreme leader? Do I want to change things for the better? No, thank you. That's fine. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Just don't call yourself a leader. Don't come to that conclusion and then call yourself a leader anyway is all I'm saying. On the other hand, if, if I really had the desire to do that, then I just, I just have to go about the work of getting better and better at it over time. And, you know, who, who knows? Maybe I'll surprise myself and I'll end up being, you know, the next, uh, you know, uh, uh, Gandhi or, or Nelson Mandela or Mother Teresa. Um, but, but if I don't, so what? At least I've gotten much, much better at it. That's the incremental improvement for me. And, you know, in our senior year, Steve, I think we have this wisdom thing going for us that, that helps. At least that's my excuse. I, I call it, some people call them mistakes. I call, call them learning opportunities. And I've had, my, I've had my share. The good news is I'm smarter than I look. So I've, I've moved them into, you know, how do I not do that again? Um, those are really powerful words. I'm going to go back to Russell a minute. I'm going to come back to you. We uh, try to keep these to around an hour. But uh, I'm going to come back for some summary thoughts and then see if there's a, a wish or a tip or a final statement you want to give people to hang on to, like some of those powerful ones you gave us on this, this interview. So, Russell, um, you worked inside the, the Indian Reservation. You, you understand charities from outside and inside. Um, some of the themes that Steve brought up, I think, are really important messages for people that lead charities. What are some of the ones that jumped out for you? Well, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily have uh, have confidence in getting what they want, and you really have to have that burning desire to to stretch. It's really important. It's just that burning desire to get better. That's pretty critical, you know. So, uh, and you really have to believe in what you're doing. That that helps, you know. Asking for help is is another thing. You know, uh, uh, the best leaders are people that walk in, you know, they have authority, but they don't walk in uh, like they know everything. They're not afraid to ask questions, you know. The smartest guy in the room asks the best questions. He doesn't, you know, the guy that has all the answers is going to be trying to sell you something, and he's more interested in lining his pockets than helping you. <laughs> That's just kind of been my experience. But yeah, leaders can be made, you know. So yeah, some people have natural talent, but you have to work at it. And if somebody's born with the propensity to be a leader and they don't cultivate that or exercise that, uh, I'm in a frame of mind, you use it or you lose it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think, you know, that there's an element of, uh, of, of humility that I, I think I think it's really important to, to emphasize because, you know, we talk in such big, bold words like extreme and transformation and, 
and it could it could give the impression that that this is some kind of a, a knight riding on riding in on the white horse and being the hero and you know being the the the, the doer of all action and the solver of all problems and the knower of all there is to know and that's what it means to be a leader and it's just not i mean we there's we can't know everything we can't have all the answers we just it's just not the way we're built so so the the willingness to to come in in, in say a new leadership position in all humility and say to the people that you're going to be leading teach me mm-hmm. you're, you know, help me to learn about this place what what works what doesn't work what do you need what can i do to help uh and so many times when we take leadership position we're afraid to do that because we don't want to appear to be incompetent. We, you know, we're, and it's, it's just so interesting. People respond in exactly the opposite way that we think they're going to respond to that sort of thing. I remember a, a while back I was, uh, I was doing a, a little guest lecture at the Haas School of Business at uh, UC Berkeley. And, and so these were all, you know, soon to be newly minted MBAs. And, and one of them asked me, he said, so what, so what can I do um, when I, when I, you know, finish my program and, and these guys are all working already anyway, but, but he was saying, you know, when I go and I, and I go to work for this new company and I'm a, I'm a new MBA and I, I go to work, what do I do to establish my credibility with, with my new colleagues when I start working at this company? And I, and I said, well, first thing you need to understand is that your MBA doesn't mean squat. They don't care. Yeah. If you free to come in and say, I got my MBA from Berkeley. It's, it's like, so? <laughs> so? So the first thing you need to do is, is be a student again. You know, you think you're done with being a student. Now it just starts. Now you need to be the student in your new company and learn everything you can about, about everybody and everything and, and, and be a sponge and soak it all up. And, and you'll prove your credibility by how effective you are in your job. It's as simple as that. You don't have to, you know, proof is a big part of this. We need to prove ourselves. Yeah. It's not by being, you know, by, you know, that, chest thumping crap it's you know we prove it by being authentic and learning and and living up to uh, making sure that our actions live up to our words and that we're congruent and that we follow through on promises and commitments and that we do a good job it's pretty simple not easy to do it's pretty simple i think it's really taking a genuine interest in people when you walk in the door and finding out hey who are you what is it that you need what what do you want and a final thought that I had on building leaders is that, yeah, a lot of people, we're all unique and we have these exceptional abilities. And people don't always recognize their exceptional abilities. So extreme leaders always bring out the best and let people know they can do that. Like uh, if you stop and think about geese that fly south during the winter, they fly hundreds of miles uh, in a day sometimes. And so all the time that they're flying, they're honking. So they're cheering each other on as they as they go, and they take turns. You know, they right. share that that lead role so that no one uh, gets overtired. So exactly, exactly, love that. Yeah, and actually, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I just I don't mean this as a, as an overt commercial or anything, but I just uh, I'm in the process of signing some books for somebody, and and you just. Uh, reminded me of uh, something that I, I think we also have to say here. So this is my third book. It's called Greater Than Yourself. And uh, it's, on, it's on your website. Where's your website? SteveFarber.com. Uh-huh. 
and if you go to extremeleadership.com, it points there as well. So either way, you'll find it. But, but the premise, and, and this is what made me think of it, Russell, the premise of greater than yourself is simply this. And it, pre- it presents a little bit of a paradox. The greatest leaders that I've met in my two and a half decades of doing this work mm-hmm. uh, never um, crow about their own greatness. They don't shine the spotlight on themselves. They don't try to take all the credit. And in fact, the greatest leaders are the ones that make others greater than themselves. And that's the paradox. How do you become one of the greatest leaders? By making others greater than yourself. It's that, it's that very deep, profound investment in another person to raise that person up above yourself. So that by virtue of working with me, you're going to be better at this, whatever this is, than I am. And that's where my legacy is going to come from. And that's where my, that's where my greatness comes from. Uh, and not because, not because, you know, I'm, I consider myself to be this all knowing, all powerful, benevolent creature, but because I love you because I want to help you. And, and there's no quid pro quo. I'm not expecting anything in return uh, other than you go out and do the same thing for somebody else. That's it. And, and that, that I think is really the essence of, of, of everything that we're trying to do. I want that book. Um, show us the cover again. You went away fast. Hold up that cover. Yes. <clears throat> greater than yourself. That's me right there. Yeah, we can go to Amazon uh, and find all of your books, can we? What are the others called? Yeah, yeah. The, so the first book was called The Radical Leap. And I'm not in the process of signing a bunch of those now, so I don't have one lying around here. The Radical Leap and The Radical Edge and Greater Than Yourself are the three so far. Um, I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm proud of all of them. I, get, I really get, get great feedback on them. Uh, they're, they're all novels. They're all in that in the, the genre of the business parable, so to speak. Uh, so they're they're fun fun to read, um, and the lessons I think uh, uh, have, well I, I know have had a profound impact on a lot of people, which I'm I'm gratified to say. I love it. I love it. I'm going to post uh, these notes on the um, nonprofitchat.org website and um, stevefarber.com. That's a really nice website. I think people enjoy going there. Thank you. I noticed your books on the front. There's a lot of good stuff on that website. It's it's an engaging website. It's not boring. Like thank you. Yeah, a lot of audio, a lot of video, a lot of content. Uh, thank you for that. We just relaunched that in December, so I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Mindhubaloo.com is coming. Not there yet, but it's coming. Um, so Steve, as we this has been very helpful. I thank you for your time and. We will push this out, and I'll send you the link so you can certainly share it with your network. And when it goes live on the the Nonprofit Exchange podcast, I'll let you know. Um, it'll be a few days. <clears throat> we have some in the queue ahead of it. Um, as we're leaving, you've you've um, given us a lot to think about, and I'll encourage people to go and listen to the replay, even if you've watched it on Facebook. Um, what are some parting thoughts that you'd like to leave with people who? Uh, are interested in growing their skills and, and fulfilling the greatness that they've been created to, to manifest. Thank you. Um, well, first of all, I think we live, uh, you know, we live in a time, we live in extreme times. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fair characterization. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that every generation describes itself the same way. Uh, but it seems to be increasingly true. <laughs> yeah. So we live in extreme times, and these are times that demand extreme leadership. And if you take it to heart, what we've been saying here is that leadership is not about your position or your title. 
then what I would leave you with is simply the world needs you right now. We need, we need extreme leaders. We need transformational leaders. We need people like you, whoever you are, wherever you are, to, to step up and make a commitment to changing your piece of the world for the better. Because these small W worlds, these little pieces of the world, they, they do add up. Uh, they're not meaningless. They add up and, and they are literally within the scope of every single person listening to us this evening. Uh, should you choose to step up? And, and uh, my hope is that you would choose to step up. And, and so how do, you take, how do you take your first step? It's, it's, uh, it's making that choice. And then I think you start by, uh, by asking a very, a very simple question. Um, how do I want to change the world? How do I want to change the world? And you define what world is. So how do I want to change the world of, you know, if, if, if you want to tackle the capital W whole wide world, that's what we used to call it. Great. Or what, how am I going to change the world or how do I want to, do I want to change the world of my place of worship, of my community, of my nonprofit, of my customers, uh, change the world of my family or one person in my family. You define what world is and then, you know, get about the work of, uh, of answering that question. How do I want this to be better? And that will set you on the right path to begin to enlist the right help, develop the right skills uh, that you're going to need to make that a reality. Steve Farber has been our guest tonight. Steve, thank you for um, blessing us with uh, wonderful words and wonderful concepts tonight. Um, I'm richer because of it. Thank you for being with thank us. Thank you. Thank you. It's my, my great pleasure. Anytime. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.